WMNF is turning 41, and we want you to celebrate with us. We can't party in the usual way, so we're asking if you would share your love, congratulations, and testimonies in a 30-second message for possible airplay throughout the month of September. Email WMNF at WMNF.org or call 813-238-8001, extension 150-150, to record your message. Let's celebrate together. Talking Animals on WMNF. My guest today is Kathleen Edwards, the Canadian singer-songwriter, who recently released Total Freedom, a critically acclaimed collection, and her first album in eight years after effectively walking away from her music career and opening a coffee house called Quitters. This represented a very different life from that of the often grueling existence of recording artists and touring musicians she had lived since before putting out her first full-length album, Failure, in 2003. One constant across the music years and the coffee house years and currently i guess a combination of both is dogs she's had dogs loved dogs rescued dogs and someone having forged a strong relationship with an ontario-based golden retriever rescue called golden rescue rescue dogs or just dogs figure prominently into kathleen's life and sometimes into her songs including who rescued who standout track on the new album i'll play in just a moment after that i'll speak with kathleen about the path she's traveled in recent years including running her own coffee house and how she circled back to making music of course there'll also include a good bit of dog talk and more when i speak with kathleen edwards in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. As one measure of how highly regarded Kathleen is by many of us at WMNF, the great Marcy Finkelstein, host of the Tuesday Morning Show, also interviewed Kathleen recently and will spotlight her and the new album in her wonderful ongoing series, Words and Music. Marcy has scheduled that conversation with Kathleen to air on the Tuesday Morning Show on September 29th, so I look forward to that as well. Later in today's program, I'll speak with Carol Moorhead, who will be photographing local dogs for a forthcoming book fundraising project benefiting Pet Pal Animal Shelter. We'll get details, including how your dog could be considered for the book later in the show. Right now, though, let's hear one of the new Kathleen Edwards songs we're sure to discuss. This is Who Rescued Who? New music Music from Kathleen Edwards on Talking Animals on WMNF. I picked you up on the other side of the river. Dogs and alcohol, they go so good together.
Who Rescued Who by Kathleen Edwards from her new album, Total Freedom, on Talking Animals on WMNF. Not coincidentally, Kathleen is joining us now to talk dogs and music and more. With a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. This is Kathleen Edwards on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Kathleen. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us on Talking Animals this morning. I'm so happy to be finally talking about something that's not my music and my other favorite thing in the world, my puppy. Okay, well, to confess right off the top, I'm sure there'll be some music talk along the way with some dog talk, and, and of course, where those intersect as they just did in the song we heard. But really, first of all, congratulations on the new album, Total Freedom, because it's just drawn uh, rave reviews, so I think this is the very definition of a triumphant return. Well, thanks. Yeah, I, I took some pretty well-needed time off from touring life and from being sort of in a music bubble of tours and recording, and I just was really missing a big part of home life that I had put on hold, I guess, for so many years, and and yeah, and in the end, one of the first things I did once I got myself settled at home was to find a dog. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Well, I want to talk about arriving at that decision and sort of setting music aside for a bit and then circling back. But since this is a show about animals, I'm sort of constitutionally obligated to start there. So let's hook it into your song that we just heard, Who Rescued Who. Um, so tell me about writing the song and tell me about Red. Well, Red was my uh, golden retriever. I um, bought him through a foster fail uh, with an organization called Golden Rescue, which is an Ontario-based golden retriever rescue organization. And initially, I just was interested in fostering for them. And Red ended up being the dog that I picked up, as the song says, on the other side of the river, which is um, in Ottawa in the Quebec province. And I took him home and he was just going to stay with me for a couple weeks. And I think you all know how this story ends. And I named him Red because he was a big, dark, red golden retriever. And he, um, he just made everything amazing. He just was the sweetest dog that ever was. He was probably about eight or nine when I got him. And, 
And then over the years, I ended up um, during my during owning my coffee shop, um, I ended up opening a uh, ice cream trailer during the warm months behind Quitters. And of course, I bought a used trailer to do my ice cream out of, and it was the color red. And so one day, my staff, uh, this young woman Amanda, came up to me and said, "Can we call the ice cream red ice cream since <laughs> it's a red trailer and red was always around the, the coffee shop?" And so uh, red now lives on in infamy as an ice cream trailer as well which is great because he made everyone smile and ice cream makes everyone smile yeah for sure so since you mentioned once or twice that it was a foster fail i guess i kind of curious to ask how long once you were supposedly only fostering red how long after that did you realize hey red stand here well um i had done some fundraising for the organization golden rescue and foster dog oh okay there we are Um, sorry we lost you for a sec Sorry, I'm here. Yeah, okay, no, just uh, your call. I thought your call had dropped or something because you, you, you dropped out for a bit, but you're back now, so that's the main thing. Great. I'm fostering him for a couple of weeks, and and then I knew that I just, I couldn't, I couldn't conceive of not having him be my dog. So yeah. The organization was very kind to make an exception for me, and I got to keep him. Yeah, well, a lot of those organizations aren't super mad when there's a foster fail, I've noticed. <laughs> Well, you know, he won the dog lottery, and I, uh, he, and I, you know, I won the dog lottery too. He won the human lottery. I won the dog lottery. Yeah. So, uh, a minor element of this show over the years has been playing animal songs. So, having done this over a bunch of years, you really start to listen carefully and discern the differences between nice, kind of earnest animal tunes and songs that have maybe, let's say, a bit more on their mind, like this one. So this. This is a nod to to Red, kind of, but who's no longer with us. But one line in, it's also about someone with a drinking problem. So um, that's kind of pretty interesting. Was that sort of how the song began, or did it evolve over time? Um, No, you know, the song is kind of, I I don't know. I I, I don't think it's really about having a drinking problem, but it's sort of about, you know, remembering the day that you say goodbye and having a pretty... Pretty, pretty large whiskey at the end of the day to, to kind of soften the nerves a little bit. Right, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the song kind of came about actually because I, I had finished the album. I'd finished recording the album and I needed one more song and my producer, Jim, said, you know, we just need one of those like feel-good sort of two and a half minute, like just, just go home and just whatever comes, just, just go for it. Yeah. And so I sat down and played my guitar, and I had really struggled. I didn't want to write a song about my about Red because I, I knew that it would make you know. It would, I didn't want to write a sad song. I wanted to write a happy song, and yeah. So I just opened up my phone voice memos. I sat down with a guitar, and and two and a half minutes later, I actually just had a song. It's once, wow. once in a blue moon, a song just throws itself out of your mouth, and. Luckily, I had I had the audio recording of it, and then I just kind of fixed it a little bit and went to the studio a week later. Wow. That's funny, because I was going to ask if the song kind of tumbled out of you, largely as is, never imagining it did to that degree. So that sounds like that was really just one of those songs that was just waiting to come out. Well, I always I think about that song sometimes when I hear it about how some of the things that I say in it are things that I would have just said to the dog, like hop in the back seat, here we go. And, you know, everybody would stop and say, uh, everyone would stop and say, 
aren't you so sweet? Because that's what people say. They come up to your dogs. They people know this. They they see people and they're like, oh, aren't you so sweet? And, and um and they're just kind of unconventional little throwaway lines that people would say like in passing and I just ended up sort of saying it out loud when I was writing the song and then it stuck. It was really kind of special. Yeah. As for the title and, and the chorus, it seems like a little bit of a kind of a nod or a smile towards folks, many folks, uh, all of us really, I guess, who adopted animals over the years. Uh, some think this, some actually say it out loud. The, I thought I was rescuing her, but I think she rescued me. So is that kind of just a little bit of a, a kind of a smiling little nod in the direction of that? It's sort of almost a, become a little bit of a cliche for people to say that, although they say it in total earnestness, of course. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I actually, the funny thing is I actually got a dog. Um, I have a Labradoodle named Penny and yeah. I got Penny about two months before I started fostering Red. And Penny was high strung. She was nervous. Everything scared her. She couldn't be crate trained. She, she spent three hours in a pan. If I went out, she destroyed she was really um, just not, he had not been socialized properly. And I got Red, and he just showed up in the first day. He just kind of like, like, no, no, this is how you chill. This is how you lay down on the sofa. This is how you, you go down when one goes out. And so, please, almost, he kind of be a dog. And, um, and it was one of those things. I know it's a bit of a cliche that he rescued his, but, you know, he kind of rescued. A dog penny. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. I guess I, I missed that there was another dog being rescued in this, and and or at least being taught how uh, some basic of a uh, dog uh, being a good dog there at the house. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. It's listen. It's an unending, you know, Ferris wheel of animal animal rescues going on in my life. And you can ask my parents. I'm constantly trying to set people up with rescue animals. Right, and hoping they might have some kind of foster fail, I guess, in some, some cases themselves. So, uh, <laughs> And speaking of that, uh, Kathleen, I know you're also a real fan and lover of Siamese cats. I mean, some people really love Siamese cats. Some people kind of like the looks of them, but don't necessarily love the sounds of them. So how did you become a Siamese cat uh, devotee? Well, is it 101 Dalmatians or Lady and the Tramp or one of those Disney movies that forever ruins the Siamese cat reputation mm-hmm. with the little, we are Siamese, if you please. And they, of course, are those, you know, devilish psycho cats in the house that knock over all the vases. And, yeah. Um, anyway, so, of course, you know, I think they always get a bad rap. But really, I I ended up having an acquaintance who had a snowshoe Siamese. And a snowshoe is um, a Siamese cat usually crossed with some kind of American short hair. And what's really nice about that cross is that you get a cat that's really interesting, smart, and fun with sort of a, do- a cat that's sort of a little bit chill. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. And um, anyway, I... I I I took care of a friend's snowshoe Siamese once, and then I was, like, completely stuck on the idea that I wanted a snowshoe Siamese. And I'd had cats my whole life, and and so I was ready for another cat, but I was on tour all the time. So I never really had time to think about it, and I didn't want to go. I don't really go to breeders. I always feel like it's a leap of faith I'm not totally ready to make. And so this is actually a really hilarious story. I was in... um, 
I was in the state of Oregon, and then I was in the state of well, I was in the state of Washington, and I had just played a show at a place called No Kwame. And my next show was in Vancouver, British Columbia, and so we were driving through Upper Washington State, and we got to a small town called Burlington, and we pulled over to fill up for gas. And the station, the gas station, was in a little strip mall, and right next to the gas station was a pet grooming store, and. With a big glass window, there was a poster that said, Snowshoe Siamese for adoption. And there was my cat sitting there in the window looking right at me. And I turned to my then-husband, who was on tour with me. I said, that's my cat. Wow. What do you mean that's your cat? We're on tour. You have to go to, we're playing Vancouver tonight. I said, I don't care. I called the number. I said, I am passing through the area. I would like to come back in a few days and adopt this cat. And so everyone went home from tour, and I ended up renting a car, driving back into the States, adopting what I who I named Mr. T, uh, Mr. Mm. Earl Grey T. And Mr. T flew home to Ontario with me a few days later. Wow, that is a great story indeed. And uh, clearly uh, that was destined to be. And the cast name was Mr. T, right, you said? <laughs> yes. Okay, because I, I think if I'm not mistaken, uh, in, your Instagram is uh, Kitty the Fool. That's right. I yeah, so that, correct in, in making the connection that I'm I'm Kitty the Fool because someone joked about Mr. T once saying, "Well, I bet he Kitty the Fool," and then my nickname was Kitty, and so it worked out. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's great. You have to be up on your Mr. T uh, trivia, which luckily I just happen to be. But uh, so that's great. <laughs> So this is Talking Animals on WMF. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you just tuned in, my guest is Kathleen Edwards, the singer-songwriter, who recently reactivated her music career, releasing Total Freedom, her first album in eight years. Dogs have long been central to her life. and One throws into the new song, which we just heard and discussed, but uh, cats are important, too, as we're also just heard. So if you'd like to ask Kathleen a question or offer a comment, please call 813-239-9663, email dj at wmnf.org, or text 813 so, Kathleen, can we talk for just a moment or two about birds on a feeder? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so because to me, while it's a celebration of solitude and it's where the phrase total freedom comes from, it does cite birds sort of attracted to the feeder and snoozing dogs to uh, evoke this kind of sense of bliss. So by my loose criteria, birds on a feeder kind of qualifies as an animal song. And again, as I mentioned earlier, we're, we're very much about animal songs, especially really cool, interesting animal songs here. So do you consider it one or is it for you mostly just about... The, the solitude and other things that you're really obviously enjoying as as that song unfolds. I think having, um, when I finally moved back home and got a house and I sort of ended up doing all these things that I had sort of fantasized about doing for years and years, which was to have, you know, a garden and my, I guess maybe in my upbringing, we always had for feeders really enjoyed uh, just the process of putting up feeders and seeing who would show up. And I've become a bird person. I absolutely love the different birds that come to the feeders and spotting everything from northern flickers to American goldfinch to palliated woodpeckers. Um, I really enjoy seeing birds. I really enjoy listening for their calls. It's just something I find really, um, I'm sure a lot of birders can appreciate this. I mean, I'm not a birder, but I, I find it incredibly peaceful to just watch birds, watch them interact, listen to their sounds. And maybe it's almost like a, 
um, an exercise in mindfulness or something. Mm. Birds are incredibly um, soothing in their in their presence. And really, although you could say you're not a birder, I mean, just the way you rattle off some of those bird names there, it sounds like you're at least maybe becoming a bit of a birder. <laughs> well, I, I I would be totally fine to be one of those year old nostalgic tourists with you know with birds. I, I, I've become that. Yeah, yeah, they are. I mean, I'm trying to find out more and more about birders because I so far haven't gotten that that passion that, that the real birders have. But I'm talking to people who do, and it's really interesting because, uh, boy, they really they just get swept up in it. And it is, I think, what you described. Um, it's both relaxing and invigorating for real birders when they're spotting, especially if they're spotting a bird they've never seen before. But even just seeing something. Well, I live... Go ahead. I live in Ontario, uh, Eastern Ontario, and Eastern Ontario is actually a really, um, it's a, it's sort of a pass-through area for a lot of migration songbirds and uh, other migrating birds. And so we get a huge, very little glimpse of, depending on the time of year, where we get everything from Baltimore Orioles to, to you know, um, blue tangin tanagers and all sorts of sort of really bright, beautiful, what look like pretty exotic songbirds. They pass through, and sometimes they just pass through for a week. And so we get to see these birds once in a while. It's really remarkable. No, that's great. Yeah, especially if you're in the path of those kind of birds that are migrating, you, you get sort of bonus bird sightings then. So that's... Uh... Yeah. Very cool. So um, maybe we'll come back to more of the new album, Total Freedom, in a few moments. But uh, for several years, of course, there was no new music and you had no intention of creating any. I imagine you probably feel like you've told this story maybe a few too many times already. But can you take us back to the point where you decided, you know what, I'm done here. I don't want to do music. I don't want to tour. I just, enough. Oh, um, there are probably a lot of people listening who don't know me and I put out four albums. Um, I was touring and recording from a very young age, like 18, 19. And then, of course, my first release came out in the in South City. And, you know, I played my first American appearance was on the David Letterman show. And I was so lucky to have an incredible amount of opportunities. I toured with people with Nixon and um, I opened for cool American rock bands. I toured the UK and Australia, but um, yeah, I think I just got to a place where, you know, I was a woman in my mid-30s and I had committed so much of my life and my energy to my career. And when you are in the music business, I think there is a certain amount of commitment that you have to make if you want to be a, a person who's, who's in it. And I just suddenly felt like my life was on hold every day. I'd be on tour, I'd be in a different city, and I knew that I, you know, was grateful for the opportunity just to be able to say I was a working musician, but I was, there was a huge part of my life that I had not taken time for, and and I became clinically depressed, um, which I didn't know for about a year and a half. I just knew I, was, I wasn't well, and um, I eventually got in with a doctor who diagnosed me, and it just gave me really a kind of permission to know that I wasn't just feeling sorry for myself, that I really wasn't well. And then I looked to find ways in which I could, you know, heal and, and get better. And part of that was to uh, take a pretty extended break. And when I quit music and sort of put out the, I don't think I want to do this anymore, I ended up opening up the coffee shop and I got to have a whole other life away from, from music where I got to... I got to enjoy being an adult woman 
with a totally different lens and with a totally different set of, um, you know, sort of professional uh, tools. And mm-hmm. that was really good for me. And so coming back to music now has been a lot more rewarding because I've had time to enjoy all of the experiences I had when I was in that giant torpedo of, of that I didn't have the time you know, frame of mind to really appreciate. And it sounds like also at this point, because you've lived that life, getting back into music probably wouldn't be the sort of all or nothing proposition that it might have felt to you like it was when you were in it earlier. I think that probably made the thing that constantly weighed on me, that it was all or nothing. And if I, if I just wanted to think that I would take a break, my career was, you know, I, I will uh, I saw friends of mine, you know, their safari clips of mine, and they were selling out huge shares and touring, you know, tours. And there was something that was hard about that only because I had worked with them, and I wondered why those types of successes hadn't come to me. And, and it just took the joy out of what was something that, that I did because I loved it and became more about the business aspect of it, or I started being things in which I had made commitments and it didn't feel like it had paid off in that all or nothing Mm -hmm. type of thing. Yeah. Bang on when you say that. So now you've circled back. Uh, Well, first of all, before we get into that, just because when you realize, hey, I've got to make a change and then a doctor help you realize, hey, you know, I'm clinically depressed. I'm not just feeling sorry for myself. I've got to take some action here and to get to a point where I can feel better. But how did when you were saying, okay, so that means I'm going to get off the road. I'm going to set music aside, at least temporarily, maybe at that point. How did you go from there to saying, okay, so for my next thing, I will open a coffee house. Why why that versus, you know, any number of, I guess, other possible scenarios? Well, um, funny enough, when I was on tour, every day, one of the things that I sought out was a good place to get a coffee, which when you live out of hotels and suitcases and tour buses, your life every day looks different. And by finding a good place for a coffee was kind of that one common thread. And I was 18 or 17 when I moved out of my parents' house. And my first job that I got was at a neighborhood Starbucks which was back in, you know, the mid-90s. And it was when Starbucks was really an interesting um, new player of, like, high-end coffees. And I was trained for days and days on these beautiful manual La Marzocca machines. And I love coffee culture. I love my job at a cafe, and I learned a lot. And I think I moved to, well, I moved to a, a sleepy suburban town outside of, Ottawa and I um, moved there. I got unpacked and then I looked around and I was like, well, where's a good place to go for a coffee and sit and read for a while? And there wasn't anything. And so I just thought, you know, I've seen every coffee shop from Stockholm to Los Angeles. Maybe I could take a stab at it. And so I just put one foot in front of the other and uh, had a few people help me along the way and took out a loan and and I just kind of did it. Wow. Well, that's great because it sounds like you not only had extensive experience as a customer just being on the road that much but also you did have that starbucks training and and as a barista so and then when you saw that hey there's a void here where i've moved it just seemed like light bulb moment kind of 
Yeah, and I think what was good was that I didn't have any sort of false fantasies about what it would be. I knew it would be hard work. It ended up being a lot more hard work than I could have imagined. But I I also knew, you know, I'm going to have to clean bathrooms. I'm going to have to clean the floors. I'm going to have to, you know, be somebody's boss. And and so, it, but it was a great, like, it was, it was kind of like, I, I never went, I barely finished high school. I got terrible grades. And then I never went into post-secondary education, like college or university. I, and I think there was a big piece of my intellectual side that was missing and learning how to manage a coffee shop and learning how to build a business really took me back to school and Mm. that was really good for my it was just good for my my mind and for my heart to do something that um that just didn't make me feel like all I've ever done in my life would be a singer yeah, it sounds like it, it filled a piece of you that maybe you didn't even realize was missing, but as you kind of yeah. headed towards Quitters. So what have you loved most about Quitters? I mean, which you, you still own and run, even though you are back into music, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I'm not on tour. <laughs> right. I know. I was going to ask about that later because, uh, unfortunately, touring is uh, still not really possible. But we'll come back to that in a sec. But, yeah, so you still do run and Quitters are still very much a big part of your life. Is. Yeah, um, you know, COVID shut down actually, despite a lot of the hardship. Um, it's actually been a very interesting experience where I've been able to brief, sort of take. I had the time to kind of go, okay, if we open back up, what do I want this place to look like? And it's given me permission to sort of. I've had to make some changes, but it's also allowed me to kind of revamp or. It's kind of like that thing where if you your favorite place to go in the whole world is Disneyland, and and often Disneyland canceled, you know, on a Tuesday they canceled your favorite ride indefinitely. Yeah, it, you would kind of be like, oh, that was my favorite thing. But Disneyland, and the threat of never going there again was on your radar. And it opened up those last rides. You'd be like, I'm so happy to just that you have and it allowed me in the same way to sort of reset the coffee shop and let it be a little bit simpler and kind of it kind of had snowballed into this bar and cafe and bakery and lunch destination and ice cream place and I was like this is too much we need to claw it back and do something simpler and so not going on tour has allowed me to have time to kind of be back into my business and actually restructure it yeah I did I would be totally screwed. I wouldn't have time to do that. So it's been really, the timing has worked out. Oh, that's great. So when you talk about simplifying, is ice cream still a part of the operation? Yes. Oh, okay, if, okay. If you, take, if you take ice cream away from people, there'll be riots. You know? Right. Well, especially if it's Red's uh, ice cream, I would think even more so. <laughs> so um, so what, what's the most annoying coffee drink someone has uh, ordered there? Because there's, there's usually always a doozy that the people that run or work extensively in these places have like, oh, my God, you won't believe this guy's order. Yeah, it's very funny you asked me that. I did an interview with a, a guy who writes. Um, I write the, for a coffee um, for a coffee blog, and it's an industry uh, coffee blog. And so I said, he said, "What's your?" I said, "My favorite thing is is working the bar and actually talking to customers and making their drinks." And he said, "It is. That's what. That's the thing everyone complains about." And I said, "Why?" And he goes, "Because people are fussy." And I said, "Well, I mean, yeah, that's because we're people. Like, of course we're fussy, but." 
you know, there's sort of this fun dynamic where, like, I just, I have no, I don't take things personally. If someone doesn't like my coffee shop or didn't like my coffee, I just don't take it personally. And then also, there, I just, I'm one of those people who's like, there are no stupid questions. And if you don't know anything about coffee or you want to know if we have pumpkin spice, there's no eye rolling. It's just like, no. <laughs> so the one thing that we do, do not carry at Quitters is any kind of pumpkin spice. And early on, on one of my sandwich boards, uh, I had a chalkboard sign that said, keep your pumpkin out of my latte. So we kind of set the tone on that one. Yeah, but that sounds pretty. Kind of a game. Yeah, that's yeah. hard and fast on the pumpkin thing. Yeah. So uh, now, are there any uh, performances? Do you have any kind of little shows at Quitters? or? I don't. Um, no. We did a bunch of things there to, I was on the CBS morning show and right. we recorded a few songs at Quitters um, and we filmed them there. And then I did my album release out of Quitters um, and it was really fun. And I loved, you know, my staff at Quitters were so amazing to help that whole thing happen. It was kind of a, it was a big production. There were a lot of moving pieces and we were still in open business. So it was pretty, to be honest, it was a little stressful. Yeah. And um, I, for the time being, I think I'm going to take a little breather. I'm going to wait till touring is is something that I can do and I can actually play in front of people. I think that has been the one thing, unfortunately, that became the the obvious reality of, of, of COVID and not playing in front of people has been the unfortunate thing of not feeling like I'm connecting with people when I'm playing because I can't see them. And mm. that's been disappointing. Yeah. So you're not like some, like many artists actually, I guess, uh, you're not all that interested in, in doing kind of the, the online Zoom or Facebook Live thing. It sounds like you, you'll just wait till you can do the real McCoy. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Um, you know, I'm sure that there'll be a few little moments here and there where I do one or two small things, but I want to play with my band. I want to yeah. play the song in a, in a club or in a theater or somewhere, and I want to be able to see people and connect with them like when i when you play and you and you know there are people watching but you can't see them it's i realized this is i didn't know it until it was happening but that's such a huge part of the joy of playing is actually seeing people and their response or their that that, that connection is just so much more important than the actual act of playing song for people yeah i love connecting the human connection piece is important for sure sounds like extra important maybe to you and just like hey i'm just gonna wait till i can do that get that full experience and if i have to sit tight for a bit that then i'll just keep uh doing my quitters thing in the meantime well we're all in the same boat right that's the thing and um i i think if anything it's i in solidarity with other musicians and performers who are so vulnerable right now i'm i i think we just kind of need to wait and it's not an easy answer but hopefully there's strength in numbers in in that in that so that we can sort of remind people who are still working or who you know send have been spending a lot of their covid downtime watching films and listening to music that art is really important and has a very special and valuable place and i hope that it will remind people that that you know musicians aren't just or creators of all kinds are are not just sort of a we're not a hobby industry we're truly we provide a lot of things both in spirit and economics in our in our world and for sure that i hope that that people don't forget that when we're able to again oh yeah no i think there'll be a mad rush for tickets and to see a show and 
and, and whatever. And in fact, when things do resume that way, I can only hope and assume that you'll make it back to Tampa because not only is Tampa generally, I think, uh, uh, full of Kathleen Edwards fans, but we here at the radio station, in fact, I think it was 2009, you did a show for this radio station, WMNF, and it was, I think it was really originally supposed to be Loudon Wainwright with with you on the show, and then something happened, Loudon canceled, and then you did the show, and one of our other WNF favorites, Will Quinlan, opened, and that afternoon you came in, and I was doing a music show at the time, and you came in, and we had a very nice uh, visit, and uh, anyways, there's... Uh, there's I totally remember. Oh, yeah? Well, that's very nice of you to say. Oh, totally. I very much remember, and actually, funny you should mention coming to Tampa, I actually am coming uh, for the first three weeks of January, I'm going to be hanging out in St. Petersburg. Oh, yeah? I... With my husband, yeah. We're going to be down there for three weeks. So maybe we could figure out a time for me to come by the station because I would love to say hi. Oh, my God. that That's for sure. And, and again, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, as one measure of how much we're all bonkers about you here at WMNF, I think last week you recorded uh, an interview with uh, one of our great, great programmers here, Marcy Finkelstein. Yeah, so she, uh, I just want to remind people one more time that she will be uh, presenting that interview as part of her ongoing great series called Words and Music on the Tuesday morning show on September 29th. So there's more Kathleen Edwards coming, and then it sounds like there might be in-person Kathleen Edwards uh, here at WNF. We would play our cards right in the first part of January. So that's great, great, great. Well, while we're while we're on the right topic, bringing my dogs down, and so I will need lots of suggestions about, I hear there are some dog-friendly beaches in the area, so I will need those tips because my plan is to spend at least two hours a day taking my dogs to uh, dog-friendly beaches to hang out. Wow, that's great. Well, this this sounds more and more exciting by the moment. So so I guess basically one part of the story that we haven't touched on, but we can just do maybe briefly is so was it a, a message or something from Marin Morris? I forget w- exactly how this played out, but basically it was something where she wanted to collaborate and that somehow at least partially prompted you to, to sort of get back in into music. Was that, am I remembering this correctly? Yeah, um, basically a I, I manager called my manager. I know that sounds super music businessy, but... Um, that's what happened and said Marin is looking to write some new songs and she's a fan of Kathleen. Is Kathleen interested in coming down to Nashville? And I had been, this is about three years into running the cafe and I remember quite clearly a few days before leaving for Nashville, I was slugging it out in the kitchen and I was really looking forward to a few days away um, from the cafe. And um, Marin was a very, is a very lovely and authentic uh, person. And the, the third person in the room during our, our writing session was a guy named Ian Fitcher. I ended up uh, just really hitting it off with as well. And he was one of the big reasons I got ready to be excited about writing my own stuff again. And he very generously offered to start being a producer. And, and so we... We started working together, and it ended up making. I ended up making a bunch more trips down to Nashville, and eventually recording half my record down there with him. Wow, that's great! So that was sort of that that got everything rolling. Yeah. Very fortuitous. That sounds very cool. So now we're just about at the end of our time, Kathleen. But so now we have this uh, new record, Total Freedom. And again, it's just been getting great reviews, and rightly so, if you ask me. And so this has been Kathleen Edwards. It's uh, again the album is Total Freedom. The website is KathleenEdwards.com. 
And again, she'll be um, featured in a nice conversation with her. It'll be featured on Marcy's show on Tuesday, September 29th. And then it sounds like with any luck, we might have something more, perhaps uh, in person, in studio, who knows what, uh, in the first part of January when you're, when you're down in these parts. So that's great. Well, I would love that. I would love to do that. Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kathleen, for making the time to uh, to join us. And it's been really, really great talking to you. Well, thanks for having so many interesting questions about my, my fur baby. Yeah, well, that's the thing. That's uh, that's our little specialty. And I'm sure you covered all kinds of different stuff with Marcy. So that's going to be really, I'm already looking forward to hearing that conversation. So thanks again for making the time to join us here on Talking Animals on WNF, Kathleen. Yeah. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. In a moment, I'll speak with Carol Moorhead, a Clearwater photographer who will be shooting photos of local dogs to be published in a book that will also function as a fundraiser for Pet Pal Animal Shelter. Right now, though, we're going to step into the comedy corner with a comic named Brian Simpson and a piece called Missing Pets in today's Comedy Corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. I don't, uh, I don't help people when their pets go missing. <laughs> no. Like when I see one of those signs and it's like, lost dog, I'm like, all right, that's one side of the story. <laughs> yeah. You're using the word lost, but what if I ask the dog, maybe he escaped? <laughs> you know? Those people want you to think their dog's biggest problem is it can't find them. <laughs> but I saw this documentary, it turns out the average canine can recognize a familiar scent for up to 13 miles for up to 48 hours. So maybe your dog know exactly where you are. You just can't handle the fact that he chose the streets. That was Brian Simpson with a piece called Missing Pets taken from an appearance on the late Lemon and David Spade show, Lights Out. Now it's time to speak with Carol Moorhead about the book project featuring photos of local dogs, maybe yours, that will also serve as a fundraiser for Pet Pal Animal Shelter. This is Carol Moorhead on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Carol. Good morning, Duncan. Thanks for joining us on Talking Animals. Thank you for having me. So how did you get into dog photography? Of course, many of us take pictures of of our dogs and other animals all the time with our phones, but no one's going to at least call me a photographer. So how did you kind of get into that specialty? Well, my husband and I are from St. Louis, and we had moved to uh, Wisconsin a few years back, and I want to kind of make a break in what I was doing. And I'd always been a photography hobbyist, and um, uh, while I was there by myself waiting for my husband to move to Wisconsin, I began taking pictures of my dog, and it just kind of opened up from there. Wow. Okay, good. So what traits or skills would you say now, having traveled that path, are required to create an excellent dog photo? Um, really yummy treats. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, Trick of the trade right there. Yeah. yeah some, uh, some great, uh, noises to get their attention and, uh, uh, just, you know, it doesn't have to be the latest and greatest gear. Um, as long as you have some great lenses, uh, you can produce some really awesome pictures. Very cool. So tell me then with that in mind about this forthcoming book, Tales of the Sun Coast. How does it work? How are dogs considered to be included in the book? So, uh, 
the the book fundraising project is um, benefiting pet pal animal shelter, like you had mentioned. And anyone with a dog, no matter if they got them from a breeder or got them from a shelter, can register to be in the book. Uh, and um, uh, the locations go from Newport Ritchie all the way down to St. Pete, and uh, their dog will get a double-page spread and their story told. Now, at the risk of being snarky, I have to say, I hope some preference will be given to dogs that came from shelters as opposed to dogs that came from breeders. Then I, I as well. I okay, as well. cool. So how many dogs will be featured in the book? I have about 40 to 50 spots available. Right now, about half of them have been uh, taken up. Okay. Uh, so we're going to keep the registration open probably through the end of September, and the shooting will take place through the month of September to January of 2021 outdoors. Okay, so that's kind of a long uh, range for the shooting period. So when will the book actually be published? When will it see the light of day? Well, after the end of January, I'll start designing it, and I'm looking to have the book released by May of 2021. Okay. Um, and I, I kept the, the window of shooting open pretty far just so that we can get some nice cool weather for uh, the dogs and their and their parents. Yeah. So I guess we should note, although we can't mention this, we know the, the prices and stuff, we should note that basically, actually, maybe we should mention now the, the website or social media or both where people can find out more details about this. But in the meantime, we'll just say that people really essentially pay a registration fee to have their dog included in the book. And then 50% of that fee uh, goes directly to Pet Pal Animal Shelter as the fundraising element, correct? Yes, absolutely. And there are other options as well, like um, purchasing the book um, at the pre current pre-sale price. Um, uh, after the registration is closed down and the books have been ordered, then the, the pre-sale price will go away. So I encourage people to get that now. But they can go to my website at www www.dog-tog, T as in Tom, O-G, dot com. And it's uh, the, the tab at the very top of the main page on the right, book registration. Mm-hmm. And all the details are there, and uh, the registration form is available online. And, Carol, is there any... Um other criteria, I mean, you have half the slots are available. So as dogs, as their their humans register, in other words, is there any sort of desire to have a certain mix of dogs, certain mix of breeds, small dogs, big dogs, anything like that? Or is it just as people register, they get their pages and whether if it's uh, heavily proportionate towards labs, let's say, or... Oh, no, or, no, no. I do not discriminate for age uh, or size yeah. or breed. Yeah. So it could be it could be it could be sixty uh, labs and 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 two chihuahuas, or it could be sixty chihuahuas and two labs. It's just a matter of who who decides they want to register and, and help support Pet Pal Animal Shelter and, and be included in this it book. Could yeah, be mixed breeds, it could yeah. be chihuahuas, labs, um, and each dog will have their own registration as well as their own double page uh, uh, in the book along with their story. Wow, that's great. This sounds really cool. And uh, just the mock-up of the cover that I've seen and that I posted on social media. Yeah, actually, that's my assistant's dog. His name is Hank, and that was at Flippy Park. Okay, great. Well, that's that's the beautiful greyhound that we've seen. But uh, anyways, the real version has yet to be, I guess, decided on until you, what I when, when you shot all the dogs, well, then there'd be a way you determine which dog. Yep. Or One dogs of those can... dogs that register for the book could end 
end up being on the on the very front of the book. Nice. And and representing the Sun Coast and all the great dogs that live here. That's great. So again, Carol, this has been really cool speaking with you. So this is for the Tales of the Sun Coast. One more time, her website is www.dog hyphen tog as in t-o-g of photographer dogtog.com to find out more and uh, all the details uh, registration fee and how else you can get involved so carol thanks so much and this sounds like a very great project and again great that it's uh, supporting pet pal animal shelter along the way so very thank cool. you so much duncan for having me i look forward to meeting everyone all right cool thank you bye-bye uh-huh. bye-bye bye-bye i'm duncan strauss and you are listening to talking animals Coming up at 11 on WNF, it's Rob Leroy with Radioactivity, followed at noon by Midpoint with Nola Lalay. Then at 1 p.m., the music kicks back in with 360 Degrees of Blues, hosted by Harrison Nash, followed by Scott Elliott and the All Souls edition of It's the Music. So on this show, as the prize for Name That Animal Tune, I'll be offering a Talking Animals t-shirt. We've returned to the original way of responding, which means the prize is awarded to the first person who calls, not emails, but who calls 813 239 and correctly identifies this animal song chosen, I think, appropriately for today's uh, programming. This is Name of the Animal Tune on Talking Animals on WMNF. All right, if you can name that animal tune, we'll take your guests off air because we have just about reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals. On WMNF Tampa, I invite you to return next Wednesday at 10 a.m. for another edition of the show. Also invite you to visit TalkingAnimals.net for audio archives of every show we've ever broadcast and all our social media links are there as well. You can also sign up to get our uh, newsletter, find out our guests and other information a little bit beforehand. That's all found at TalkingAnimals.net. I'm Duncan Strauss. This is Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa.